I'm sure that some of you have been seeing on the news and internet different places a, a story that's going around right now about Noah's Ark Sanctuary right outside of Atlanta, Georgia. It's a fascinating place, about 250 acres, and there's all kinds of wild and exotic animals that are there. But three that are really gathering the attention are Baloo the bear and Leo the lion and Shere Khan the tiger. It turns out that these three exotic animals were all found when they were just cubs, and they were all in the home of a drug dealer there in Atlanta where the police made a raid. The animals had been abused, and so they took the animals and brought them there to Noah's Ark Sanctuary. Now, it turns out that these animals started growing up together. That was 13 years ago, and these keepers were very concerned. I mean, these animals are strong, big predators out in the wild, and the truth of the matter is they should never have met. The black bears from North America, the lion is from Africa, the tiger is from Asia. They never would have come across each other. And now you've got all three of these in this space, and they just knew that as they got bigger, that sense of aggressiveness would come out to see who's going to be dominant. But that was 13 years ago, and it's never happened. Instead, these three animals, known as the BLT, the bear, the lion, and the tiger, the BLT is incredibly in love with each other. No, they play, they seek each other out, they nuzzle each other, they rub on each other, they sleep together, they look for each other. They are the best of friends. To see the pictures are really, I mean, they're amazing. You can tell the affection, the loyalty they have to one another. And yet they're of a different color, they're of a different species, they're from different countries, and yet they have learned how to get along and peacefully coexist. They've actually learned how to love one another. And so it was the person who was there helping to work and take care of them said, you know, we've made sure that we've never told them that they're different species. <laughs> no, it is amazing the way that they love and look for each other so much so that we really feel like we could learn a lot from them. Maybe we could learn that even if we're a different color and from different countries and do things different ways, maybe we could learn to love one another. These animals, she said, have something to teach us. This morning, I want to begin a new sermon series entitled, The Wild Kingdom, Celebrating God's Creation. It is interesting how often God uses animals to teach us some truth about life. So for the next seven weeks, we're going to look at scriptures that talk with animals all throughout the Bible, some ones you will not expect. For seven weeks, we're going to look at all these scriptures dealing with animals that God uses to help share the gospel message and tell us how to live life and get along with one another. This morning, we begin with one of the most famous passages out of the Bible. Where Isaiah says, And the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the kid, and the calf and the lion and the fatling together. What Isaiah is doing is describing a new relationship among creation. It's a radical new relationship in creation. So radical it says that even the bear and the lion will eat straw like the ox. It's radical, a whole new experience of how 
creation is going to learn how to get along. You're going to have the predator and the prey, the strong and the weak. You're going to have the wolf dwell with the lamb. Now, when Isaiah shares this, he's not just thinking about the animal kingdom. He's also thinking about all of God's creation. Because the truth of the matter is, you and I know, there's always the strong and the weak. There's the rich and the poor. There's the talented and those who are less talented. And through history, it has been so easy for the strong and the powerful to take advantage of the weak. And we're being called to live in a new relationship where all can have a sense of peace and respect and be able to live together. Now Isaiah tells us that's going to happen because if you go back and read Isaiah 1, 11, 1 through 5, the first part of the scripture chapter, you'll read where it says, And there shall come a shoot from the stump of Jesse and a, a branch from the roots and a child will be born and his, God's spirit will be upon him. Now, scholars tell us that this was probably written when a new king was ascending to the throne there in Judah, someone who's a part of the Davidic monarchy, a descendant of King David. We think it might have been Hezekiah, but we do not know for sure. But as Christians, we tend to look at this as the prophecy from Isaiah about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus. And so this is a passage we read usually at the beginning of Advent, when we're talking about getting ready for Christmas, because we're talking about one who is coming into the world, one who's going to come and turn our relationships and the order of the world upside down, where the strong and the weak will live together in peace and bless one another. That can be true for the world, but it's also true where we work, it's true in our own families. What does it mean to be able to say the prey and the predator, the strong and the weak, we all should be able to dwell together? What I want to do this morning is I want us to think about how do we help that new world order come created? What do we do to improve our own relationships? What do the animals have to teach us? So what I want us to think about this morning, I want us to see three things. First of all, Isaiah says... The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. The earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. A new world order begins when we all center ourselves in God's grace. When we begin to live out of a relationship with Christ, that's where we begin to change our relationships and the world order. Now those of you who are animal lovers, you certainly know that St. Francis of Assisi is the patron saint of animals. And you're going to hear a lot about St. Francis over these coming weeks. You remember his story, born into a well-to-do family. And in this well-to-do family, Francis was able to live a good life. And he was a pretty wild child growing on up, even as a young man, until finally he heard the call of Christ in his life. And when he heard the call of Christ in his life, he heard it in a sermon about the rich young ruler. When Jesus said, go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. Francis felt like that's what Jesus was saying to him. So he went and sold all that he had, 
And he then went to go live among the poor and to preach the gospel. Now, the fascinating thing is, you may not realize, because, you know, St. Francis is so well-known, one of the most well-known saints in the world, he never was ordained as a Catholic priest. He was a friar. And it was the Pope who gave him permission to ultimately go preach. And he would start the Order of the Franciscans and the Order of the Poor St. Clair, an order for women. He was an amazing, holy man who had such a love for God, but a love for all of God's creation. It was said about St. Francis that he could talk to animals and he could understand what animals had to say to him. Francis was known to preach to the birds and to the wild animals. He was so well known for his love of creation and his relationship with animals that there is a legend of a time when the town of um, Gubbio was having a problem with a wolf. Now Gubbio had about 1,500 people and it turned out there was this wolf, a big, strong wolf, who started attacking all of their sheep. And one day there was a shepherd who caught the wolf and fought with it, and the wolf killed the shepherd. And so the town of Gubbio sent out three men to go get this wolf. And when they did, the wolf attacked and killed two of them, and one escaped. And he talked about how strong this wolf was, how big his jaws were, how big his teeth were. The town was terrorized. They were so afraid. And so they sent for St. Francis. And Francis came to Gubbio, and when he got there, the mayor said, you need to deal with this wolf. In the name of, go out and in the name of Christ, kill this animal. And if you don't want to kill him, you know that town down the street, we don't like the people there, send him down there. St. Francis said, that's not a good idea. So he prayed and prayed about it. And the next day he went out to find the wolf. And some of the men in the town went with him. And when Francis went out in the woods, sure enough, here came the wolf, jaw open, teeth bared. And immediately when Francis saw him, he made the sign of the cross and said, Brother wolf, in the name of Christ, stop, I come in peace. Those who were there said, the wolf stopped, closed his jaws, came up to Francis and knelt down. And Francis said, Brother Wolf, you are terrorizing this town. Why are you doing this? Tell me your side of the story. And Brother Wolf said, Well, I I've been injured. I couldn't keep up with the pack. I'd rather eat deer and rabbit, but I can't run that fast anymore. So I've got to pick off the lambs. And I was going to the flock again when a shepherd caught me and we came at me and I I just had to protect myself, and I killed the shepherd. Well, then I was out here, and they sent some men out, and suddenly they surprised me, and my instincts took over, and I, I killed two of them. But one of them fell down. It was obvious he wasn't going to harm me, so I let him go. And Francis said, Brother Wolf, don't you understand what you're doing? You're taking all of their, their livestock, their food. And now you've killed people who are good people, a father and friends. They are grieving. This is not how God has called you to live. Brother Wolf, if I were to take you into town and if I could get the people to forgive you and if I could get the people to feed you, I know you must eat. Would you promise never to do this again? Those who were standing at a far saw the wolf raise his paw and saw Francis and the wolf shake hands. 
Francis then turned and the wolf went with him and they went back into town to the town square. And the people gathered round and he said, Brother Wolf has come to say how sorry he is for what he has done. He knows this is not how God wants him to live. Will you forgive him? Could you forgive him? He is hungry. Would you be willing to feed him each day if he promises never to terrorize you again? And the people of Gubbio made the commitment. They would forgive Brother Wolf. And he could come to a house each day and he would be fed. And that's what started to happen. And the wolf went from a house to a house each day and was fed and would now live in the town, protecting the town from other predators. And he would live there for two more years till the day that he died. And the whole town would grieve when they lost Brother Wolf. Now, the reason the church would share this early story was try to make the point when all of creation lives by God's will, when all of creation is going to love and to forgive one another, it's going to turn everything upside down in how we treat each other. The wolf will lie down with the lamb. But for the world to be changed, it all begins when the knowledge of the Lord is covering the earth. And where that begins is with you and with me individually. It begins with us. We can think about the whole world, but to grow out of the spirit of God's love has to start with you and me. Now, you know, at St. Luke's, we've made a commitment. As a family of faith, we have committed that we would all have a daily devotional life. We have all said we'll take time each day for prayer, reading, and meditation. Now, I know it's easy to get out of that habit. We're all so busy. You think of how many things you're bombarded by each day when you turn on the TV and the news and the advertisements and you turn on the radio and then you have your emails and then Facebook and then Twitter and then text and all this stuff coming at you all day long. If you don't take time to ground yourself in the spirit of God's grace, it is easy to mistreat one another. We have to say it has to begin by being focused in God's Word. So you and I have agreed we're going to have a daily devotional life. And we may have gotten out of the habit, but today's a good day to say I'm going to renew my commitment. You know, when long ago I had a friend who gave me a, a daily devotional book. It was entitled, A Daily Devotional Guide for Die-Hard Fans. And then it had the name of a university at the top of it, and it had beautiful burnt orange on the cover. And I, I was given this gift, and, and I, I couldn't help but think, it's got to be a joke. And so i got to admit, I, I laid it on my desk, and I, I, I didn't touch it for quite a few weeks. And then one day I was in the office, and I thought, I, 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 need, I need a good laugh, and so I picked it up. And when I started to read it, I discovered it wasn't a joke. It was a real devotional book. And what it would do is it would tell a story of a sports history from the university, and then it would weave in a scripture and a point from the story that was very biblical and life-applying, uh, and you would read it, and it was a great devotion. I was incredibly impressed. And I really wasn't surprised because I, I knew lots of Christians went to that university. And so I, I wasn't surprised that we would have such a wonderful daily devotional guide that would come out of that university. And then last week, I, I walked into Threefold, our bookstore back here, and when I walked in, here was a display at the back, and, and it had daily devotional guide for... 
Oklahoma State University, University of Oklahoma, TCU, Arkansas, right on down, all these universities. And I thought, well, I guess it's true that there's Christians at all those universities. I just got to tell you, it's a good book. Get your devotional guide. You know, there's Jesus calling, God calling. There's upper room. There's guidepost. There's so many. But find you something. We've made a commitment that we will start each day grounded in God's word to center ourselves in God's grace. For when the knowledge of God covers the earth, it changes things. You know, you and I as a family of faith have made a commitment to help God's knowledge, the knowledge of the Lord, cover the earth. It is why we went on television. It is why we went on radio. It is why we started traditional and contemporary worship. It is why we now have three campuses. It is why we have gone to Russia. Because we as a family of faith understand sharing Christ is one of our values so that when the knowledge of the Lord covers the earth, it's going to create a new order where we can learn the strong and the weak. We dwell together in a spirit of love. But secondly, I believe what it means is you're going to have to start in the faith and it will give you the strength and the patience you need to accept others who are different. You know, that's what I loved about the BLT. I mean, here they are, a different color, different countries, different species, and they learn how to dwell together and to love each other. Sometimes that is so hard. I mean, just be honest. Isn't it nice if everybody looks like us? Isn't it everybody nice if everybody thinks like us? If you want to do things the same way that we want to do them? Sometimes it's hard to accept people who want to do it a different way. Think about things a different way. And I don't just mean on a global level. I mean starting in your own family. How many times in your own family, between a husband and a wife or parents and kids, you approach things differently? You think about things differently. And we find it hard to, to accept the other person who might want to do it a different way. It starts in our own families about showing that sense of, of acceptance of people being different, doing it different. When you think about Jesus, Jesus called his disciples. He called fishermen like Peter, Andrew, James, John. But he also called tax collectors and he called a Judas and he called a Thaddeus and a, and a Thomas. They were different. And Paul would soon write in the early church, Can the head say to the eye, I have no need of you? Can the hand say to the foot, I have no need of you? Paul tried to say, we all have to have each other. We must learn to accept one another being different and wanting to do things in different ways. Just in the last week or so, Marsh and I received news that our, our son-in-law Andy and Kelly are going to be moving to Broomfield, Colorado, right outside of Denver. It turned out that Andy has now gotten a job with a new company. We've had them down in Dallas for the last six years, and we've thoroughly enjoyed that, but now they're going to be moving to Colorado in the next week. And so we hurried down to Dallas to go see them and to get to be with them for a few days. And school was still in, and we had a good time being. I got to go see Luke play a little league baseball game. But one morning, we were going to be getting up and walking the kids to school. Now, Luke is in the third grade. My granddaughter, Mara, she's in kindergarten. 
And then you got Park and Millie, their little bitty. And so we were going to walk them to school. It turns out they got to be there. Well, at 10 till, 10 till 8, a bell rings. And if you're already there and sitting in a class, in, a, in the cafeteria with your classmates, the teacher comes and then takes you to your classroom. If you're not there by that time, then you still have to go on your own to your class before the bell rings at five minutes till. And if you're not there when the second bell rings, then you're tardy. Well, our grandson, Luke, he is punctual. He will be on time. And on time means 10 minutes before he's supposed to be there. Our granddaughter, Mara, she's a little more laid back. And so it was that morning while we were there, the alarm didn't go off at 6.30 like it was supposed to. They didn't wake up until 6.40. And waking up at 6.40, 10 minutes late, really stressed Luke. It was like, we got to get up. Come on, everybody. We got to get moving. We're going to wind up being late. And so he turned to Mara and says, Mara, go upstairs and get dressed. And she said, I don't want to go upstairs and get dressed yet. Luke didn't say a word. He went upstairs. In a few minutes, he was back and said, Mara, here's five options. Choose between these that you want to wear today. He had an entire outfit, her shoes and everything. Choose which one of these five you want to wear. Here's your options. He turned over to Kelly. Our daughter Kelly was standing there in her pajamas at the, uh, at the stove cooking. And he went over and looked at her and went, well, I can guess we can tell that Daddy's walking us to school today. <laughs> Kelly got the message, and she said, no, no, I'm walking you to school. I'll be changed. I'll be ready to go. Hey, I got the message. I was going to make sure I was ready to go. I was, I was in charge of pushing the stroller that morning. And so we all got dressed as quickly as we could, and Luke was in the kitchen. He's putting stuff in the sack of lunches, helping to get it all ready so they can get out the door. He knows I've got to have Mara dressed. We've got to have our lunches before we leave. So we went out the door, and I was pushing the stroller. He and Mara were on their scooters, and he's kind of out front, and we're kind of trying to keep catching up. And we walk all the way to school. We get to school. The first bell has not rung yet. But Luke hands me his scooter and hugs my neck and says, I love you, CB. Have a great day. He was in the school. I'm standing there with the scooter, and I looked over at Mara and said, What do we do with the scooters? And she said, Oh, come on, CB. And so Mar and I walked on down to another door a ways away where they had a scooter rack and you could put your scooters for the day. And the bell rang as we're heading on down there and we put our scooters in and then we walked on back up and she took time to hug Park and to hug Millie and to hug Kelly and Marcia and me. I love you, have a good day. And Mara walked on into school to her class and she made it before the bell rang. Neither one was late, neither one was tardy. But I tell you, getting there, two total different approaches. And it sometimes causes stress in the family. Is one better than the other? Is one right or one wrong? They're different. How often in families we do it different. And somehow we want everybody to think like we think. We go to work. and People may approach it different. And we get angry at people because they don't do it the way we do it. We look around the world and people look different and dress different and think different. And how often we get so angry about it. If we're all a part of God's creation, we're all a part of God's kingdom, then what it calls us to do is to be grounded in God's grace and to pray for the patience and the strength to be able to accept one another even as we are different. 
But third, to be able to do that, then you and I are going to have to make a commitment to listen and to get to know the other person. You know, I love that about these animals. They were always hanging together. They knew each other. They may have been different species from different places around the world. No, they didn't have to be dominant. They could dwell together. To be able to listen and to get to know others. Now, I've told you before how when I was growing up in Houston, back in the 50s, I did not know any good Jews or Muslims. No, in those days, it was Catholics and Protestants. My best friend was a Catholic who lived across the street. That was the difference It would be years before I would have friends who were faithful Jews, friends who were faithful Muslims, friends who were gay, to go to Russia and know good Russians, to be able to know that there were good Christians at universities up in Oklahoma. (laughs) It would take years for me to learn these kinds of things. You know, it is so easy to paste a label on somebody And we automatically start passing judgment about them. And we never take time to listen or to get to know them as an individual. And I'm not just talking about out in the world in a significant way. Again, I'm talking about even our own homes. How many husbands and wives don't listen to each other? To know, what is my spouse struggling with? What's their dreams? What's their fears? To be able to know with our children. Do we take time to listen to our children, what's going on in their lives and what's happening in their world? We get angry at one another because we're not all acting the way we think everybody ought to act. And maybe it's got to start by grounding ourselves in God's grace, committed to trying to accept one another, and we will start to listen and to get to know the other person. It makes such a difference when you go from a person to the person who has a face and a name, and you know something about them. There's a difference there. You know, it was back in 1922, John Walton was elected governor of the state of Oklahoma. And when he got elected governor of the state of Oklahoma, he decided to do something special. You know, all governors have an inauguration party, but they're always by private invitation. Well, John Walton decided he'd show the state and say, no, no, this isn't going to be a private affair. I'm throwing an inauguration party for the entire state. And so he said, anybody who wants to come to the inauguration party, come on to Oklahoma City on this day. What a dumb idea. 80,000 people showed up. 80,000 people from across the state showed up a couple of weeks early. There weren't enough hotel rooms. There wasn't enough housing. There wasn't enough food. What they decided was, no, they're going to have a big barbecue. They went out to the state fairgrounds and they had dug a trench almost a mile long. They filled it with wood. They covered it with screen and they were going to have beef and chicken and, and duck and turkey and, and possum. You, you name it, they were going to have it. It was going to be the barbecue to end all barbecues. The problem was they didn't count on so many people coming. And so the head of the inaugural party suddenly had to start thinking fast, what are we going to do? And he came up with the idea, he created a contest for all the counties in Oklahoma. Who can send the most meat to Oklahoma City for this inauguration party? And the prize will be, you get to lead the inaugural parade. Do you know which county sent more meat to that inaugural party than anyone? Bryan County. 
Bryan County won. They sent more meat than anyone, and they led the inaugural parade that year. But it was Sayre, Oklahoma, who sent the most unique gift. They sent a live bear. It was a bear that could be sent to be barbecued right along with all the rest of the things. And they sent this bear, and it got here to Oklahoma City, and they took the bear, and they put it in the Lawrence Hotel there in the lobby. They had it all kind of caged up, you know, just to have it there that people could see. Now, I know that may sound strange, but, you know, I was in Denver not long ago when I went to Brown Palace Hotel. If you've been there, you know it is an elegant hotel. And what I discovered was that every year, right after the livestock show and rodeo, they get um, the winning grand champion, and for a couple weeks they put it right there in the lobby of the Brown Palace Hotel so everybody can come see the grand champion. Wow, you're kidding me. Well, that's what we did in the Lawrence Hotel. We got this bear, and we put the bear in the hotel. The only thing was, the bear escaped. He began to terrorize people there in the hotel. It was the executive chef who caught him and got him back into his pen. And then he escaped again, and again was terrorizing the people. Now, there was a reporter from Paris who had come over to cover this whole thing, I mean, because it had made such big news. I mean, we had created five 8,500-gallon coffee urns out of the fairgrounds. I mean, this was the barbecue to end all barbecues. So he began taking pictures of this bear and writing articles about this bear. And so you'd see the bear and you'd hear all about this bear that was being there in the Lawrence Hotel who was going to be a part of this incredible lunch. And guess what happened? The children across Oklahoma, they started collecting their money to save the bear. And they went to work as fast as they could because time was short. And with a couple days to spare, the governor received 11,911 pennies. <laughs> and what was the governor to do? He took the money and he sent the bear out to the Oklahoma City Zoo and the bear became known as Barbecue Bear. And Barbecue Bear now was living safe and sound and did not terrorize anyone, lived in peace there at the zoo, and was the number one attraction for the next 10 years until Barbecue Bear died. Why? Because he wasn't a bear. He was the bear. He was known. He had a face. People could understand why he was afraid and terrorizing people. No, he was the bear they understood. It's when you and I are willing to listen to those that we may not agree with and who are different from us, whether in our own family or where we work or in the world. If we can learn to listen and get to know the person and make a commitment we're going to accept all of God's creation that is different from us, if we are grounded in Christ starting with the grace of Christ, then truly creation can be turned upside down. The wolf can dwell with the lamb and we can learn to love one another. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.